Thank you for listening to the Downtown Community Church Podcast. My name is William, and I'm the executive pastor here at DCC. DCC is located in downtown Tallahassee, and our heart is to reach the city by loving God, making disciples, and being great neighbors. We recently moved into a new church home where we can better meet the needs of our growing church with a bigger sanctuary, lobby, and expanded kids' wing. We love to have you join us as we gather each Sunday at 9, 15, 11, and 5 p.m. Please join us in praying for Tallahassee. And if you would like to make a financial contribution, learn more about DCC, or contact us, please visit downtowncommunitychurch.com, and we hope you enjoy this week's sermon. We are in a series uh, going through the book of Galatians. Now, in this series, we are talking, and Paul specifically is talking, and we're just highlighting some things that Paul are saying. But Paul, as he talks, is weaving together this idea of what the gospel is. And as we defined last week, we talked about how Paul, in verses 3 and 4, defines the gospel for us. Now, if you're new to church, um, you have probably heard of this term, gospel. There are lots of folks, there's lots of churches that are named, and they have you know, maybe gospel in the name, or you've heard people saying, you've know, you got to go and preach the gospel, and it was someone with a super southern accent, and you imagine somebody that was standing in the middle like an intersection, they had a big sign, and they said, you know, repent, 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 and you think, that's the gospel. But here is how Paul defined the gospel. It was essentially this. It was God's substitutionary rescue, in other words, God in Jesus, sent Jesus not to be a good person, not to enlighten us to a better way of life. He didn't simply send Jesus so that we would be better you know, at, at life or better with God. He sent Jesus to be the substitute to take the penalty that we should have taken in because the consequence of our sins. And so in seeing that, he said Jesus is essentially our substitute that came to our rescue, which means we need rescuing. In fact, the the language that he used, he used Greek, and that had ties to the Hebrew language. And the Hebrew language, as they understood it, and as some of our Bibles say it, says, and he delivered us. When When he said delivered, that brought all kinds of Old Testament Jewish roots of the delivery of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. That we, in fact, needed delivering. In other words, none of us can good person our way into God's good graces. And so God sent Jesus, his one and only son, to the world to be a substitute for our rescue. That we could have a right standing with God. And that was how Paul, essentially as we parsed it out last week, defined and said, this is then the gospel. Now, as we're going to launch in this week, Paul is going to do something um, that we frankly misinterpret a little bit. Paul's going to tell us a little bit about his story. But... Whenever we hear someone's story, we think, oh, they're just sharing their testimony. I should just go and share my testimony and talk about my faith. Now, Paul was talking about his faith. He was talking about his faith journey, which we're going to learn a lot from. But the reason Paul was talking about his faith journey specifically was not just because he thought it would be a good idea to share his faith. Because the group that he was writing to was already Christians. The group that he was writing to already had a belief in Jesus. The group that he was writing to already knew, already thought the resurrection. They were in it to win it. And they thought that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. But there was a group of people called the Judaizers. The Judaizers would come in and say, you have to have Jesus plus moral framework. You have to have Jesus plus works. You have to have Jesus plus your own faith works righteousness. And in that, we 
have a similar context of the same thing, except for we do it a little bit different than they do. Um, for our context, you can kind of broad stroke any morality that you want to. You can take whatever your favorite Christian, you know, Christians ought to do this. Christians, you know, don't, you know, the, the big ones. Christians don't drink. Christians don't smoke. Christians don't cuss. Christians don't lie. Christians don't cheat. You cheated. You're a Christian. You're not a Christian anymore. You cussed. You're a Christian. You're cussing and, and you, you work for a church. You know, holy cow, you're not, you know, you, you, you should be fired. You know, you, you, you. You put what in your body? You know, we have, the, we have this moral framework that sometimes, honestly, we project onto what the scriptures say. It's all another sermon for all another day. But that to say is that they had a moral framework, too. And this was their moral framework. Their moral framework, let me be honest, was worse than ours. Like, ours are things that we would like to do because maybe they would be enjoyable because you stub your toe or you step on a Lego. Um, and you just, you know, it's, it's 1 o'clock in the morning and you, like, want to strangle your 2-year-old. But in the same thing, other than that, doing that, you want to say a word, perhaps. And, and that's, that's our moral framework. Now. For them, it was a much different moral framework. There was a much different, almost a keystone habit of morality that was, for them, kind of the litmus test to whether you had a good standing with God. And that was, for them, circumcision. Now, fellas, let me just say this. We are so glad that as, not, not just as babies, as adults, this was not a requirement for Christianity, right? Because our church would be real, real, real small. It wouldn't be like Sunday morning, honey, let's go to church. It's like, I'm staying away from that place, to be honest, you know? Just ain't going back. You know, I'll give my money, sure, whatever. I mean, come on now, that's, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a grown man, that ain't happening. And so what, what they thought as the keystone sense of morality for becoming a person of faith or having a right standing with God was Jesus plus circumcision. And Paul taught Jesus plus anything is a false gospel. Jesus plus anything. I mean, you add anything to the gospel, you add any sense of morality. Now, it might have moral implications, but if you add anything as a requirement for salvation, then you've got a false gospel. And so what's fascinating is Paul had the reputation of watering down what the Jewish and the Judaizers felt like was a false gospel. They thought Paul had a false gospel, and they thought that he had a false gospel because he was just making it too easy for people to come to faith. And so what Paul does in the rest of the chapter, the verses that we're going to read in this chapter, is he mounts an argument for not being a people pleaser, and he mounts an, uh, an argument for why he has authority to preach and to teach the gospel. Paul's defense here is not simply to say, hey, let me just tell you my testimony because I just think you ought to know. They knew Paul. Paul had spent days and weeks, perhaps months and years with these people in the different cities of the providence kind of of Galatia. But it was as if he was saying, let me redefine to you that I am not a people pleaser. Let me redefine to you why I have the authority to preach the gospel. And in this, let me tell you why this is important. All that, that's fine, that's good, that's interesting for Paul. We are going to find our authority to tell people about Jesus. Because I'm like you and you're like me. We can so easily disqualify ourselves from having the ability or perhaps having the morality of being a light for God and for Jesus and our world. We can do very similar things and take the accusations that I'm not a good enough person, I don't know enough, I'm not smart enough, I haven't been a Christian for long enough. And in doing so, renders us useless to the kingdom of God. 
So let me read you Paul's argument. It's going to start in verse 10. In fact, verse 10 is interesting. Uh, if you got your Bible, which many of you do, and if you don't, you just got it on your phone or you can read it up here. But in verse 10, what you see is verse 10 almost is like its own little paragraph in that. And here's why. Because scholars didn't know. Should verse 10 go with verse 9 or should t- verse 10 go with verse 11? And so they decided, you know what? Verse 10 just kind of its own thing. It's a transitional point because, again, Paul just got done saying, if we preach any other gospel, any other gospel, it's not a true gospel, to which they would say, well, of course you're saying that, Paul, because that's the easy thing to say. So Paul says this, verse 10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? Paul says, okay, let's just pause. Am I trying to please people or am I trying to please God? Am I trying to please people or am I trying to please God? Because they thought, well, you're trying to please people. You're trying to please people. Paul, look at how easy you make it for people to come to faith. Now, this is, this is a little bit, you know, we live, let me just tell you, depending on which, you know, sect of Christianity you're in, um, the easier we make it to pe- for people to come to faith, oftentimes the more um, critical other people, other churches can be of making it easy to come to people to faith. It's like, oh, you're watering it down. You know, Jesus isn't that attractive. People should be running from your churches. It's like, maybe they just run from your church. But anyways, you know, but, but, but they looked at Paul and they said, you know, you're just trying to please, you're just trying to please, you're just trying to please. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Am I trying to please man or am I trying to please people? And this is what he says next. Now, we misinterpret this. Let me tell you this. We misinterpret the next statement that Paul says all the time. And here's how he says it. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, how we read and we internalize and we do this all the time with the Bible, we contextualize it to what we are going through. So we say, if I were trying to please people, I can't be a servant of Christ. Pleasing people and pleasing Christ are diametrically opposed to one another. That's not what Paul's saying. Now, there is lots to say about not being a people pleaser. There is lots to say of the fear of God over the fear of man. But I just want to say, this is not what Paul is saying. Paul, in this verse, sets the thesis for the rest of the chapter. Here's what Paul is saying. Before I was a Christian, my life was great. Before I was a Christian, he's going to say this in verses 13 and 14 especially. My life was great, and I was doing the darn thing. I was being successful. In fact, I was more successful than most of my people. But since I've become a Christian, I have faced all kinds of adversity. I have faced all kinds of persecution. I have faced all kinds of controversy. In other words, if I were just trying to please people, I never would have become a Christian. That's what Paul says. If I were just trying to please folks... To have a happy life, to water it down, to make it easy. I never would have become a Christian. Because Paul understood something. That becoming a Christian, that being a Christian, that living out the call of God's purpose on your and my life did not go easy all the time. So he says, let me just preface everything I'm about to say with this. And this is beautiful what Paul did. He would always take just this rhetorical and put it into this very logical construct. And he would say, if I'm trying to just please people, if I'm just trying to be happy, merry, healthy, wealthy, and wise, I wouldn't have become a Christian to do that. Because my life was way easier before I became a Christian. He said, if I was just trying to please people, I wouldn't have been a, become a servant of Christ. For, I would have you know, brothers, in verse 11, that the gospel that was preached to me is not not man's gospel. 
For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, a little bit of Paul's testimony that he's feeling, that he's, he's know, he knows that they know, but perhaps we don't all know. Paul, before he was referred to as Paul, was referred to as a guy named Saul. Saul was one of the primary persecutors of the church. Saul, Paul, same guy. Saul equals Paul. Bible gets confusing by, by that way. Um, in case you're brand new to the Bible, then sometimes it renames people, and you're like, wait, Who are we talking about now? So Paul, or Saul, becomes Paul. Paul was Saul, more referred to as Paul, after his conversion. Now, Saul hated Christians. Saul hated Jewish, or not hated Jewish. Saul was Jewish and hated the church. Saul persecuted the church. In fact, the very first person that the scriptures record in the book of Acts, when, when the guy who, you know, who they basically they kill for, be, for being a Christian dies, it said, and Saul was standing giving approval. In other words, and Saul was the guy in charge, and that's right, kill him. Saul probably killed many Christians, was in charge of the persecution of many Christians before he became a Christian. And here's why Paul's saying this. There's no good reason. There's no logical explanation for me having the faith that I have outside of me experiencing the resurrected Jesus. And this was Paul's claim to fame, that as he was on the road to Damascus, as he was walking down this road, he had this revelation where he didn't see kind of like a Caspery ghost Jesus. He heard and saw the real deal Holyfield Jesus. Like he saw him, he was in the flesh, Paul had this conversion, he became a Christian. So this is what Paul's going to say in the next couple verses. And you know that my life was easier before I became a Christian. Verse 13, he says this. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. Paul saying, before I became a Christian, man, I was, I was, I, I didn't like Christians. I hated Christians. I was persecuting, persecuting Christians and it went really, really, really well. In fact, I was better at it than almost anybody else my age, Paul would say. Let me tell you why this is important. Let me tell you why I love Paul. If you're in here, you're, you're skeptical about church and I totally understand that there is probably tons to be skeptical for you to be skeptical for. If you're questioning One of the things that I hear relatively often is this. Well, the reason people become Christians is because they get to the bottom of the barrel, they get to the end of their life, or they get to this this low point, you know, you were doing well, you were doing good, and all of a sudden, you know, life imploded, life imploded, life imploded, relationships imploded, future hopes and dreams imploded, and at the bottom of it, you just decided, you know what, I'm going to give my life to God, which everyone else, from a non-emotional standpoint, would look back and say, well, That's because you don't have anything to give. Your life isn't going anywhere. Now, if that's you, let me just tell you. Oftentimes, God takes us through that, or God not necessarily takes us, but allows us to go through that because it's at the bottom that we realize that we ultimately aren't in control. But from a skeptic's point of view, perhaps from your point of view, it's how you see Christians. Just gave it up when there was nothing to give, and it wasn't really that big of a jump. Here's what Paul's saying. That ain't my story. I was doing well. And I was doing real well. In fact, I was doing, Paul would say, better than anybody else in here. 
in my career, in my path, in my desire, in my excitement for persecution. And I was headed down this road, living the dream, success, comfort, power. I mean, come on. Paul had the power that he went to right before he comes, becomes a Christian. Paul, right before he has this, this just revelatory experience, Paul talks to one of the highest people, the most powerful people he could talk to. He says, I want to go persecute these people. And, and, the, and the powerful person basically says, okay, go for it. Paul had power. Paul had influence. Paul had authority. And Paul had influence with the most authoritative and influential people. Paul's life was going good. And I love these next couple words that Paul says. Because this is, let's be honest, for a lot of us, we didn't come to faith because it was the end of the road, it was the bottom of the barrel. We might have taken some left turns or right turns in terms of life, but life was going good. And these next words are what happens to us oftentimes that happened to Paul. But when he, if you're reading the NIV, it says, but when God. Let me tell you why I love that. Because that's so many of our story. That life wasn't atrocious. It wasn't bottom of the barrel. Life was good. We were headed down our path. And all of a sudden, something happened. You can't describe it. You can't explain it. But something happened. It might not have been how Paul happened. It might not have been that you were just walking all of a sudden, God spoke. And you were like, oh, okay, I believe now. It might have been that you had a friend It might have been that you had someone in your family. It might have been that it was someone at your kid's school that you were there to pick them up and you struck up this relationship. It might have been somebody at work that you struck up. Let me tell you, most of our story, most of our but when God intervenes in our life stories happens on the hand or the shoulder of someone else. Almost all of us, our story, now just think about your story if you're here, if you're a Christian, let's think about this. But when God intervened in your life, it almost always intervened through another person. Isn't that true? Come on, think about your story. Almost every single one of us, the story of us is the story of but when God happened through someone else because God oftentimes shows up through relationships. Not 100% of the time, but, but, the, but by far the majority is someone shows up. And your life was going good, your career was going well, your family was going well. I mean, you had a house, you had a car, you had kids, you had insurance. In fact, you had more insurance and more cars and more kids and more house than you actually needed. But you were just living and your career was going well, your major was going well, your, you know, your athletic, you know, whatever was going well. Whatever you were doing, it was going well. And then all of a sudden, God shows up. And what's fascinating in this is how Paul describes God showing up. Because the thing I love about God is though God didn't reveal himself to us the same way perhaps that he did to Paul, and if he did to you, man, that is fantastic. Please come to coffee with the pastors. I would love to hear that story. In fact, you might teach it, just so you know, okay? So, but it is almost the exact same way. And here's what I mean. He continues. He says, but when God who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was so pleased, and we're going to come back to that because those are are all very important pieces, 
was pleased to reveal his son to me. Now, this is something that it, it's such a little, little small part that unless you just spend a lot of time studying and a lot of times reading what a lot of like, really smart and honestly, a lot of really smart but dead people now because they wrote it a long time ago, people wrote, you miss this in this verse. He says, but when he revealed it to me. Now, there is a fascinating Greek word behind that word to. And there is debate, depending on your translation, of what Paul meant when he said that. Because that, that translation or that word can both be re- uh, translated as to and in. To and in. In other words, Paul was saying that this gospel, this grace, but when God showed up, it was like it was revealed to me, but it was this weird, interesting dynamic that simultaneously, almost concurrently, it was, re- it was revealed in me. I, yeah, there were, there were reasons. There were explanations. I mean, there were, there were some logical arguments that I had worked through and some things that I had questions that I always had. But there was also this interesting thing. Let me just tell you what happened to me. When I became a Christian, I was in ninth grade. Didn't hate the church. Didn't love the church. Didn't hate Christians. I wasn't that person that was, you know, and I saw the church, and I saw the hypocrisy, and I rebelled. I was like, nah, man. I just saw sports and drugs and girls, and I thought, that's way more fun. And I was in ninth grade, which in hindsight seems terribly young to be involved in anything like that. But I was in ninth grade. Was at an FCA, shots out the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Doesn't mean we don't like other people, but. It was in ninth grade. Went to an FCA event. The guy who was speaking there that night was a senior in high school. was one of my good friends who would become to be one of my mentors and one of the most influential pastors in our city. His name's Dean and Sarah. Spoke. And he talked about how God had called us to live to a higher standard. He talked about how God had a plan and a purpose. He talked about how God had sent his son because he so loved us that he bore our sins on the cross, that we had ultimate grace and love and acceptance and forgiveness. I had heard the story of Jesus hundreds of times growing up in the South before. But for the first time, what had always made sense to me now made sense in me. There was a heart realization. As I had always kind of had the conceptual understanding of the mechanics intellectually. So Paul says, he revealed himself to slash in me. It made sense, but it made sense. It made sense here, but for some reason it was inexplicable. I couldn't really grasp it. I can't really explain it. But for some reason, my heart, my, and I don't even know what to say heart because heart's just a weird Christian way to say internally that I can't explain. So my emotions, my something, something inside of me said, you know what? I think this is right. And I felt at peace for the first time in a long, long time. Now, before that, what's what's just so wonderful about the God that we serve is Paul says this in the chapter, in the verses 15 and 16. He says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born. In other words, this is how Paul, this is the the essential way that language is, is, is communicating this. That God saw me as an apostle before I was born. While I was still in my mother's womb, God's perspective of me was that I was an apostle. 
But Paul, that doesn't make sense because you spend a lot of time persecuting the church, hating the church. In fact, killing Christians. Now, let me just pause and say this. If I was the Christian that Paul killed and God knew that God was going to do that through Paul, I'd be like, couldn't you do that like a couple weeks earlier, you know? We question God's timing, and that guy has the ultimate reason to question God's timing. But here's what the reality of what happened was. God was taking the things that Paul had learned, the person that Paul had become. God was taking, and he would take, that time that Paul spent as a Jewish Pharisee where Paul would have memorized the entire Old Testament. God would have taken what Paul knew and what Paul spent time in school, that Paul became very well versed at how to, in, in many different ways, craft a reasonable and a logical argument that was airtight. Which is why he had the intellect to write the book of Galatians as the primer for the then extraordinary book of Romans. That if Paul hadn't taken the time, if God hadn't allowed him that time to become and to develop in that sphere, making horrific mistakes, he never would have become the person that God had intended him to be. Which means this. You have scars in life. You have reasons why God wouldn't forgive you. You have reasons why you've gone too far. And Paul looks at him and says, I've got more. But God saw me from the time that I was in my mother's room and he viewed me as an apostle. He viewed me. I was advancing in who I was. When he who set me apart before I was born called me by his grace. Not by his wrath, not by his judgment, but he called me by his grace. That he was pleased to reveal his son to me. Now, notice, that's a comma. Because for lots of our stories, as we understand, as you can come, especially if you're a Christian, God has revealed himself to you. You now have belief. You now have faith. You now have reason. You now have, have, have this head knowledge and this heart knowledge. You all of a sudden understand God. God has revealed himself to you. And the problem is, for many of us, that's a period in our sentence. But for Paul, that was a comma because Paul knew that the purpose of God revealing himself to Paul was not simply so that Paul would know. It was not simply for Paul's salvation. But he says this. To me, comma, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. In other words, Paul would say this. He revealed himself to me that I might reveal him to other people. He revealed himself to me not simply for the salvation of myself, though that was a gigantic part of it and the primary thrust, but the reason Paul would say that I feel like God has revealed himself to me, and frankly, probably for every Christian, is not so that we could sit on it and dwell on it and think about it and have small groups about it and just pray about it and think, man, God is so good. It was that God was revealing himself to Paul so that Paul could reveal Jesus, the light of the world, to other people. And Paul knew this. Paul felt charged by this. In fact, Paul felt like this was the reason that God had revealed himself to him. Was to reveal him being God to other folks. So Paul tells us a little bit about how that happened. That I preached to the Gentiles. He said, I didn't immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were the apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. 
Then after three years, and Paul is saying this because they would probably have an argument at some point in this that, okay, well, you just learned from the same place that we learned from. Everybody went to Jerusalem. Everybody talked to the apostles. Everybody heard it. What makes what you say about the gospel more valid than what I say about the gospel? Paul says, hey, 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 I, that, that wasn't my story. I went away. I was taught by God, Arabia, and then Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, which was Peter. Again, Bible tricky. I don't know why it does this, but hey, hold on. And remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. And then went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I went, and I, and I was still unknown in the person to the church of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. In other words, Paul would say, the churches, I had, I, I had so not had this reasonable conclusion to follow God, except for that God revealed himself to me and in me. That when other churches heard about it, when I went and I started preaching to the Gentiles, they didn't even really know who I was. All they knew was that this guy who persecuted the gospel was now preaching the gospel. This guy who was persecuting the faith would now become the cornerstone church planter that would substantiate the kingdom of God and the faith that he once persecuted. And they glorified, by the way, God. They didn't glorify me. We read this, we say, okay, well, Paul, you're just saying they glorified God because of you. Shout out, boast on that one. Paul said, no. They saw what God had done in me. God saw what God had done through me. They saw the, the inexplicable turnaround in my life. They saw that I had no reason, that I hated the church, I persecuted the church. And they saw what had happened. And they knew there was a complete 180 in my life as God had revealed himself to me. That I was now revealing God to other people. And they couldn't help but stop and say, wow. That's only something that God can do. So as we close our time together, there's a couple of takeaways as I was thinking about this. For some of us, as Christians, again, we disqualify ourselves from the call of God. We look at our past we look at the mistakes we've made before we were Christians. In fact, some of us look at the mistakes we've made as Christians and disqualify ourselves from ever doing anything meaningful for the kingdom of God. And we wouldn't be as pretentious as to ask God to do something in us and through us. We're just simply that God knows us and loves us. Here's what I would say. God does know you. God does love you. But God has revealed himself to reveal himself to other people through you. God does know you. God does love you. God does give you ultimate grace and love and acceptance and forgiveness on the cross. But he has done that for an entire world. And he has chosen his people to be the conduit through which he reveals himself. He gets glory. People understand and see him through you and through me. 
And you might have a history that you feel like disqualifies you, but you've probably never killed Christians. If you were, truthfully, you probably wouldn't be in here right now. You'd be in a place with a lot of metal bars. They don't let people go out for a while. Paul. If Paul can still be qualified to preach the faith of the people he killed, you are still qualified to do whatever God has called you to do. And don't you dare buy into the thought that because of your mistakes, you are now disqualified. When Paul looked at this, this is why he said, it's the grace of God. It's the gospel of grace. It's the gospel that I get to do what I should not get to do. It's the gospel that I get to be who I never had the power to be. It's the gospel that I get to be not only loved and accepted and forgiven and right with God, that God sent his substitutionary rescue for my restoration. He, in fact, has revealed himself to reveal himself to other people through me. He has revealed himself to me so that I can because of the fact that I am not qualified. Because if I was qualified, then I would be able to get the glory from that. In fact, your and my shortcomings and insufficiencies are our qualifiers to be used by God. Not to continue on in them, but to be used and transformed to show the grace of God to other people. Now, if you're in here, you're not a Christian. Here's my only hope, prayer, thought as we end our time together. I hope, whether it's through our time here, whether it's through a conversation you have in your family, in your friend group, whether it's a conversation you have at work, you know, whatever it is, wherever it is, I hope and I pray that for those of you who understand the mechanics of the gospel, have an awakening in your heart that God not only reveals it to you, but he reveals it in you. I pray for you who are wrestling with faith, who are wrestling with the idea of God, that as you wrestle, at some point there is a moment, or at some point there are a series of moments where God creates not only a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge of the reality, of the truth of his son. The reason I say either a moment or a series of moments is because sometimes in Christianity, we view it like a light switch. All of a sudden, revelatory moment. I talked to my dad not too long ago, and he would always talk about it this way. He'd say, for me, it's like a dimmer pack. The guy just kind of slowly, slowly, slowly turns it up. Until all of a sudden, I understand. And I know. And I believe. Now, don't know where you are. Don't know who you are. But I pray that God reveals himself to and in you. And if God has revealed himself to and in you... I pray that it is your mission for the rest of your life to reveal him to other 
people, not disqualified because of your insufficiencies in your history, but so extraordinarily qualified to give total glory to God because of your insufficiencies in your shortcomings, and that God will use those things to graft your story to make you a strong minister of the word, of the will, of the story, of the message, of the gospel of Jesus. Let's pray together.